0: Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Gregory Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University Class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times, motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how you utilize the information we provide today, take full accountability for the decisions you make, and a resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time when more and more people are graduating each year from STEM programs. As such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Peter DeVeny. During his 37-year career, Pete held senior technical executive positions at large global companies such as RIM and Dematic, leading hundreds of technologists around the world. He is also the author of the timely and enlightening book, Decoding Your STEM Career, How to Exceed, your expectation. Great morning, and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Pete.
1: Greg, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to being with you this morning. The honor is all ours.
0: Please tell the listeners from where you're speaking today.
1: I'm speaking from a little town about a, an hour from Toronto. It's uh, Waterloo, Ontario, uh, high tech town here in in Canada, and we're proud to uh, be home of the University of Waterloo and and uh, became very famous a number of years ago. Uh, it's also the town where RIM or Blackberry was formed. And and we, uh, we were on the hips of just about every executive in the world for a number of years.
0: <laughs> well, we love to go international. You're on, thank God, for Monday. So thanks for making that possible. Again, and getting up extra early to be with us today we could spend hours, Pete, talking about you, this great book, your incredible career. We've only got 30 minutes. We're jumping right into the deep end of the pool. For maybe some of our listeners who are not familiar with the acronym, for what does STEM, S-T-E-M, stand for, and why did you write this great book, Decoding Your STEM Career?
1: Well, and, and thanks for asking that, um, Greg. So S- STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And as you so rightly pointed out in your introduction, there are huge numbers of graduates from these programs every year all over the world. In fact, there's around 10 million new graduates from STEM programs globally. Wow. About 600,000 or a little north of that in the US alone. And really what I wrote this book for was uh, to help people who frequently have similar goals when they generate, uh, when they they graduate from STEM programs, uh, to help them figure out what it is that uh, will allow them to achieve uh, their, uh, according to their maximum capabilities and 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 to do it in a way that allows them to still be true to themselves and, and to themselves and i think that's so important it was always important to me i never wanted to succeed in a way that forced me to change who i was internally who i was as a person and over a long career you start to figure out what are those key capabilities that allow you to succeed According to your potential, but also remain who you really are inside. Ah, oh,
0: that's so critical, no doubt about it. Now, can you please give us a quick overview of this great book and share who might benefit from these insights, please?
1: Yeah, uh, and and thanks. So, the way I open the book, and and one of uh, an author who I really like uh, reading about is, is is Malcolm Gladwell, and I, I like uh, his books because, um, they're, they're always founded in, in great research and he summarizes it in a way that, uh, you know, has light bulbs turn, turn on in, in, in my mind. And, and, and one of those light bulb moments for me in his book was, uh, the difference in success between people with IQs between 125 and 185 is minimal. And he supported that with a significant amount of research behind it. And what that said to me was in order to succeed or achieve your potential uh, and to reach, let's say the highest levels of uh, within organizations, you have to be smart, but you only have to be smart enough. Success beyond a certain level is entirely dependent on a set of additional skills or capabilities or areas of focus, not on intelligence alone. And and particularly in the STEM community where it's such a focused learning of technologies, which is changing all the time, so many technologists can get lost in that world and somehow lose sight of all of these other skills that are so critical in order to Uh, you know, truly reach the level that they may be aspiring to achieve. And and that's really what the book was all about. Uh, Certainly, uh, translates to other industries. I think anybody can read this book. You don't have to be in a STEM program by any means. It's not a technical book at all, but many of the stories will particularly resonate for those that are uh, more in a technical career path, But, uh, but the learnings are certainly universal.
0: The audience here on Thank God for Monday is well aware. I'm a terrible reader, but even I picked up this book and could read it and read it earnestly and enjoy it. I think that speaks volumes as to how you wrote this book for everyone. So kudos to you, Pete, for that. Now, one of the other great things about this book, all the stories you share, you are not shy about sharing your personal experiences as a technology executive. And how that really helped you grow in your career. Now, there's one story about sweating through your presentation while at IBM. Would you be comfortable in sharing a little bit about that, please?
1: Yeah, well, I, I certainly wrote about it and I, I, I talk about this often. It's a, you know, it's a funny story, but it's one that that was a moment for me in my career where I realized. I had a, a serious problem and I had to do something about it. Uh, I was honestly a terrible speaker, a terrible presenter. I was nervous in even the smallest uh, team meeting settings. Uh, there was this one meeting at IBM in particular, I knew the subject material extremely well. Uh, I had prepared for the slides. It was a small meeting room, couldn't have been more than a half a dozen, maybe eight people in the meeting room. Uh, and I literally just started to sweat profusely through uh, through the meeting to the where oh. where I was so embarrassed. And one of my friends, uh, who I saw laughing in the background, leaned forward in his chair and handed me a paper napkin so I could oh, literally wow. uh, blot off the sweat up. And it was at that moment that I realized I had a significant problem from a communication perspective. And and fortunately I worked at IBM. IBM was phenomenal, probably the best company on the planet at the time for educating you in literally any area of need. And I went on an intensive communication course, uh, which helped me perhaps more than any other course I've ever taken in my life. I learned how to communicate comfortably in small meetings, large meetings, one-on-one conversations in my personal life, giving speeches. But I think back to that moment as being this inflection point. And I also know that given how low I was on the totem pole of speaking ability, if I could learn how to speak reasonably well in front of Significant size audiences and get comfortable with it. Anybody can learn to do it. You just have to know you have a problem, accept that you have a problem, lean into it, and fix it. And and uh, that was the moment that that uh, I really uh, look back on as a transition point in my career from a communication perspective.
0: Wow! Thank you for sharing this. This is amazing because I know we've only been on the air about ten minutes or so but to hear you talk, you're so relaxed, you're so articulate, to think at one time that uh, you were not such, uh, boy, that's a great lesson, certainly. And speaking of lessons, everyone is bound to make mistakes at some point along the way. But you say, Pete, we can learn from those mistakes. I'm going to ask you again to be vulnerable, if you don't mind. Would you want to share one of your larger mistakes and key learning?
1: Yeah, and 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 thanks again for that. And and I I am a big believer that that uh, we do learn better from our mistakes than our successes, and we have to be willing to to speak about them and speak about them publicly. The one that I considered in my career to be the biggest one that I ever made was shortly after I left IBM. Uh, I joined a company called Descartes Systems Group here in Waterloo, a logistics company. Uh, I didn't know very much about logistics at that point, but I had a fairly good technical background and they were developing a new logistics system using uh, a relatively newly released object-oriented framework as it was called, a new way of building this logistics system. And it didn't take me long when I got there to realize that the system that they had chosen was probably not the right direction to go. But I also knew I was new in the role. It was my first executive job. I didn't want to second guess what they had done. They had spent several hundred thousand dollars on buying this system. Oh
0: boy! Ouch!
1: Uh, and I thought, well, that decision was made, and I uh, really need to spend my time learning this new industry and and leading the team. And we'll make the best we we'll, we'll make the best out of it. The end of the day. Um, and I was a couple of years later. This was shortly before Y2K, and so we had a hard timeline to get it done. The bottom line is we couldn't get the system done properly. Uh, never really worked. We couldn't hire people that had skills. And when I reflected back on that, and why wasn't I willing to find the courage inside of me to say this? Probably is the, is the wrong direction for us to go, and it, it was because of a lack of courage, and it was also because I wasn't sure that I could defend the decision or that defend the reversal of the decision effectively. But it was fairly clear to me at the time that that this wasn't going to end well, and it didn't. And and the company certainly did well in the end, but it was a very expensive lesson to learn. Um, and honestly, was probably, first of all, it was my fault. and And I ended up leaving the company a few years later with my reputation not what I wanted it to be. Wow. And, and And I never wanted to 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 let something like that happen again. and And for me, it was about, you got to find the courage to make the difficult decisions, even when they're awful. But you can make them a lot less awful as long as you have the data and the confidence to stand up without finger pointing anyone. You just have to say, this is the wrong direction and this is why. Um, and so in the future in my career, I always tried to find that courage when I felt Didn't mean that that I was... Able to turn the decision around, but at least at least I tried if if I truly believed we were heading well, in the right direction.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that great story. Courage more than ever in this turbulent, challenging, exciting 21st century work environment. So, so important. Now, one of the things that's also very important is being nice. And Pete, you're certainly a believer that being nice is a key ingredient in the workplace as well as life. And you believe, actually, it'll end up paying you back in the end. Has this actually happened for you?
1: Well, it its it certainly it certainly has. and I, I actually believe it it will happen for for anyone that that truly believes that um you know being nice and helpful to others is a core part of who they are. and it will I believe, pay everyone back through the course of a long career. My whole focus has always been uh, to succeed not through my own uh, you know, personal drive to succeed nearly as much as to succeed by helping others succeed. and and, you know, I do think that's the easiest recipe for people to not only move forward in their careers, but to do so with some some joy and feeling that you have in fact, you know, achieved something much greater than just your own personal success. If you can succeed on your own, but you've brought a lot of other people along for the ride and and help them along the way, uh, I think you get an exponential amount more satisfaction out of your career. Uh, In my case, I I talked about the first time I got a team lead position. The only reason I got it is because I I helped a student at the time uh, with a work term report and with uh, an application that they were developing through the summer term. And he was a really a a, an excellent student top of his class graduated came back to ibm afterwards and told my boss at the time that the only reason he wanted to come back is because i was so helpful to him that he wanted to have an opportunity to work with me again oh wow and that what that did is that uh, opened the eyes of my manager enough. Uh, I had a good relationship with him, but that helped further. And after that feedback, uh, it incented him to appoint me to my first team leadership position. It wasn't something I asked for. Wasn't something I necessarily even thought I was ready for at the time. But it was strictly a result of being nice and helpful to someone else. And then eventually that came around and and got me on a path on my management journey, which uh, again, was another one of those moments that I always remember.
0: That's so wonderful. So being nice, certainly the right thing to do, but in your case, it was a recruiting tool and a retention tool. So that makes it even more, more critical and important. Something else that's helped you, teamwork. I could tell you're a consummate team player, that's for sure, Pete. There was an example about a time at Procure.com, am I saying that
1: right, where uh, teamwork was involved. Share with us a little bit about this, please. So Procure.com, I mean, it's very interesting. Procure.com was a, a tiny company uh, in the middle of the dot-com boom in around 2000, uh, And it's an interesting story, because the company didn't succeed at all. Uh, We actually succeeded to the to the level that we ended up getting acquired by another company, but uh, it was pretty hard for a startup high tech company to succeed at the time. But what we did achieve was uh, we, ha- we had a tremendous amount of drive across a team that was completely focused on uh, achieving our goal at the time uh, under adverse conditions as the the, the economy started to, to crumble and particularly in the high-tech industry in oh. 2000. But the amount of productivity that we were able to achieve in about an eight month period of time was something that I had never seen in my career before. And it was truly because we had a group of people with different but complementary skills, all rowing the boat in exactly the same direction, all motivated. And, uh, and we achieved something technically that, that, at least open the eyes of uh, a larger company that ended up acquiring us uh, because of what we achieved. But what I go back and think of and thought of frequently in my career years later is how can we achieve that level of productivity? What are the ingredients that make that up at a larger company where people are often more scattered. It's harder to get everybody moving in the same direction. But I always went back to that small team environment, very focused. It was kind of a you know, a critical time. The success of the company was on the line and everybody just cared so much, not only for their own deliverables, but to help everyone else. If you succeeded, you could only succeed. Wow. And for me, it was always about recreating that environment at a larger company again. And uh, so I thought back at at that time frequently.
0: Well, it's fascinating you mentioned larger firms that you were with because you have a great reputation of one who got to know the employees and build strong teams, even when you were leading teams consisting of literally hundreds of employees. And if I understand, these employees weren't all in the same place. They weren't co-located. How, how did you do this? What were some of the methods you used? Uh, Pete? Well, to, to me,
1: leadership was always about getting to know your employees at some letter level and knowing their names. Uh, it's not that hard to know names of you know several hundred people. You know that in your in your personal life. It takes a little bit of of, of effort, and you have to. Um, you have to make that effort. So, uh, I hated walking down the hallway and seeing somebody in the building, particularly the one that I was uh, had my office in, and not knowing who that person was. So, I made a commitment to myself that uh, if somebody was on my team or in the environment that I was working, I wanted to, I wanted to know who they were, and not just at some high level but but have some kind of a relationship with them. So what I started to do was anytime somebody new started um I would uh and you know quarterly so anybody that started within that quarter I would have uh meetings we used to call them pizza with Pete meetings at, oh. at this get together and just have a 2-hour conversation I would do the same thing in remote offices. Whenever I was there, I would get smaller groups of 10, 15 people together, always rotating it. But that changed everything because it wasn't about giving um, direction in those meetings. It was literally about getting to know each other and having a honest conversation about what's working in the company. What isn't about you know, any issues somebody was wanted to talk about personally that they were experiencing in their in their work life, or any beliefs that they had that we should do and just having a comfortable conversation. That would then spur on all sorts of coffee maker conversations, people would knock on my door, I would just create an environment where you could then comfortably have conversations with people and they weren't, you know, concerned that, Am I approachable? Am I not approachable? And for me, it was all about creating that approachability and making sure that we were all comfortable talking to each other. and 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 then people would just start talking to me at you know when I went to get a coffee or when I'm walking down the hall.
0: Oh,
1: and, wow. and it over time, you get to know everybody pretty easily. and and uh, uh, and that's, I think, part of what leadership is about. You have to be outgoing enough doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. You just have to be outgoing enough to, to, to get comfortable having these conversations and make other people call, you know, feel comfortable in that environment.
0: Oh, that is absolutely terrific. We've got about six minutes only, sadly. We could talk all day, but I have still a couple of important questions for you. We've got the class of 2022. Who we congratulate again. Many who graduated in May and are now in their careers. Any advice for the class of 2022?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, you know, I, I think in any career and, you know, we, we graduate from the programs that, that, that we're in, I think, uh, I think there's a couple of things that, that uh, everybody has to focus on. Number one is you don't have to have a passion for what, what you want to do going forward in your career. You have to be interested in, in what you want to do. You have to be willing to work hard and you have to pick something that you think you naturally have some level of, of gift at. So you, you, you probably don't want to pick something that you're, you're, you're naturally not very, very good at. It's going to be a, a harder hill, but but I never believed that this is my passion, no matter what I'm gonna go after it. I think that passion can grow over time, but you have to be interested enough. And, And I would say for the first six, seven years of your career, don't try to get into management too quickly. Learn the job, learn what the people, if you do want to go into management or leadership over time, Learn what the job really is. Feel it, and understand how you want to be treated as a manager and that and by your managers so that you know how you want to lead other people um, from all the things you learned when you were in when you were uh, uh, starting out your career. So find something that you like, even if it's not a passion. Focus hard on it. Do it for a number of years. And then learn all the things that you commit that you want to do when you move into a leadership uh, role one day and I think it'll serve you well I, I personally for me people that move into management too quickly. And they really didn't understand what it was to be an individual contributor in a role and all the, the challenges that go along with that uh, have a harder time becoming really good leaders of others.
0: Well, that's so well said. It's ironic because I had a 30-year career in pharmaceuticals before becoming a Franciscan brother. And I look back, and one of the biggest mistakes I made was really not learning the pharmaceutical business. It sounds silly. I was there 30 years, but I really didn't learn the business. Yeah. I could have contributed so much more to the organization. I was in finance, and I thought it was enough just to know finance and accounting. I needed to know how the pharmaceutical industry worked and how a pharmaceutical company ran. And I did not know that. And my contribution was significantly limited. Uh, well, it's
1: interesting. That, it's interesting that you uh, uh, that you say that. and And, you know, I think it's so important to learn a lot. And then when you learn early in your career, then there becomes this notion of learning how to learn. And it just becomes easier to learn other new things. And you're less nervous about it. You're more confident that, uh, okay, I don't really know that, but I know I can learn it. And, and, uh, and it, it it just leads to, to, to good, good things down the road. If if you put that time in early on.
0: No question about that. Pete, we've saved the most important question for last from where can our loyal listeners purchase decoding your STEM career? How can they best follow you?
1: Well, um, and thanks for asking that, Greg. It's uh, so decoding your STEM career is available uh, pretty much anywhere uh, online. Uh, Amazon certainly, but uh, uh, any any of your favorite online bookstores uh, carries it. And uh, and I can be uh, followed at at petedeveny dot P e t e d e v e n y i. dot com. Uh, it's got links to the books there. I have uh, I have blogs, um, uh, various interesting links, and uh, and most importantly, I love being contacted by people that have input, uh, maybe feedback on the book, questions about anything else, and certainly go out of my way to uh, to respond to anyone that's kind enough to to reach out to me. Um, so I love love hearing from uh, from people that I hadn't heard from before.
0: Listeners, no excuse. Pete's opened the door for you for a clear, transparent two way communication with them. Do yourself a favor. Pick up this great book, Decoding Your STEM Career How to Exceed Your Expectations. And I'm going to say, please pick up one for yourself, pick up one for someone else. As great Franciscans, we don't hold on to the good, we share the good. And this book has a lot of good in it. So please, please, please. Do yourself a favor, do someone else a favor, and don't hesitate to reach out to Pete. We've got a lot of nuggets ready this morning. Let's keep this conversation going. Pete DeVeni, thank you so much for being with us today and thank God for Monday. Uh, we've been enlightened, we've certainly been inspired. Uh, I now have a much better sense of what STEM is all about, what decoding the STEM career is all about. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Continued success and joy and happiness and contribution all this great work you're doing up there uh, in beautiful Canada.
1: Such a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me, Greg.
0: Listeners, guess what? We're out of time. Greg, saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Pete does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.